so, um, we <laughs> can you tell I didn't work on an introduction at all? So hi, no, I'm just kidding. The introduction's changing a little bit. Um, here's, here's the dealio. Uh, we are working on our DNA series. This is the last week uh, that we'll be talking about the DNA of Uniontown Bible Church. Uh, we started talking about our purpose, and our purpose is this. Uniontown Bible Church exists to bring glory to God. Then we talked about our vision, our vision as we see it in Scripture, as, 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 as Jesus laid out the greatest of commandments. Our vision is this. Our vision is to love God most. Above and beyond everybody else, anything else, we love God most. And to love others best. That means that the best way we can possibly love other people is by loving God most. And as soon as we switch those roles, we're in trouble. So, so that is our vision. And then our mission we talked about last week is to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships in this community and beyond. And so that's a, a, a call for all of us by Jesus himself to be his witnesses, to be his mouthpiece, to be the agents of reconciliation, the ambassadors of reconciliation, receiving his message and sharing it with the people around us. So that's what we believe our mission is. And today we're going to look at our values. So as we attempt to be the church that we believe God has called us to be, what is it that's going to mark us as that church? What, what characteristics, what traits are we going to see? And today we're going to look uh, in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at an early church that is, is uh, really hitting all the marks. It's, it's kind of a goosebump kind of church, and, and this is, we're taking our model out of the, that early church in Acts chapter 2. All right, here's where the introduction gets a little, tweet, a little, little changed. Um, as you know, part of our DNA, uh, what we've kind of wrapped into this, is the uh, Constitution and Bylaw revisions that we're working on as a church. Um, the elders have been spending time poring over the most exciting document in the world. Um, and, and it's funny is, um, and, and Nick said it this morning, it's, it's kind of like scripture. When you study scripture and you dig into scripture, all of a sudden things just keep popping out at you. Well, we're having the same experience as we go through the Constitution and Bylaws, unfortunately. Um, and uh, during our uh, period of discovery, uh, particularly in this last week, one of the things that we found is a document from 1877. It's really cool historically. It really stinks when you're trying to accomplish something, though. Because when you look at this document in 1877, what we have found is that there are pieces of that document that if we don't adjust, then it will render our Constitution and bylaws, even all the revisions, a completely mute point. Delightful. I'm excited about that. How are you? And so as we were looking at trying to figure out how we're going to handle that, and then, then it's, okay, we've got this meeting that we've announced, and we, we wanted to make some last-minute revisions, and then we had other attorneys look at our Constitution and bylaws and found other problems, and so we kept saying, we're going to get it to you, we're going to get it to you. Here's the deal. This is, this is really it, okay? Understand this. It's, it's hard for me to stand up here and keep pushing dates, because it's like, am I losing credibility? But here's the deal. The elder team of Uniontown Bible Church is more concerned about integrity than they are credibility. And so what we are going to do is we are going to postpone that meeting that was scheduled for the last Sunday in February. We're not sure exactly how long. We're going to spend some time this week. <laughs> we. How you like that, Mark? <laughs> Pastor Mark is going to spend some time this week on the phone with a few lawyers trying to figure out exactly how we can work through this issue that we've discovered. Um, and... Um, and then we'll have a better understanding of how long it's going to take us to, to 
fine-tune that document as well. It is just this giant rat's nest of a mess trying to figure out which comes first. It's funny. It's cool. We belong to church, and Dave Baldwin said this this morning too. We belong to a church that has existed for for 200-ish years. Most evangelical churches have a life cycle of less than 50. We praise God for the heritage of Uniontown Bible Church, And, and we understand that we are in this place today not because of anything any of us have done. We are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And that's just not a poetic thing to say. It's reality. And so our desire as a church is to act with integrity, to get it right, and to provide a foundation for the next generations to stand upon so that the gospel can continue to be communicated off the hill. All right? All right. Yeah, we'll clap for that. You want to clap for Constitution and bylaws? I'm good with that. I have other desires that I'd like to do to the Constitution and bylaws, but you can clap. You see a giant bonfire, you know, yeah, I got my way. Um, so that's done with. What I want to do is, this is, and some of you actually should start praying right now. I've told a few of you. Typically, when I prepare to preach and I have a, a, what I usually have time-wise here in the morning, which, which goes somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes, and then I ignore all of that and preach 50, I understand that. But, but normally I'll have, out of a text, two points, sometimes three, and that pushes 40, 45 minutes. Some of you have been praying since I told you this. I have seven points this morning, so buckle up. Ooh. Now, it, 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 it'll be easy. What could possibly go wrong? Um, Acts chapter 2. So, full disclosure, if you were with us uh, during our What If series in 2016, which is crazy, it's 2018 and 2016, I actually was here preaching that series, which is nuts. Uh, we looked at this passage in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to kind of unpack it again today and just apply it in some different ways. Um, as you look at Acts 2, let me, let me give you a little bit of the background. You've got, you've got Peter suddenly becoming this courageous and bold ambassador for Christ who is not afraid of anything, but he's going to stand up and he is, he is preaching hard at the people who are there in front of him. And as he's preaching them, just to boil his message down to to two simple points, his message gets boiled down to this. You were wrong about Jesus. And he lays it out for them. He says, listen, when Jesus came, he didn't come and say he was a prophet, because if he was a prophet, you would have been okay with him. He didn't come and say he was going to be a a rabbi or a teacher, because if he was a rabbi or a teacher, you would have been okay with him. He came and said he was the Messiah, the sent one of God, in fact, the very son of God, and you killed him. But you were wrong about Jesus. You thought he was blaspheming. But what God did is God raised him from the dead. And so what God did was say, you were wrong about Jesus. And then the second point of his message was, and you are responsible for the death of Jesus. You you, you didn't swing the hammer, but it was your sin, your rebellion, your rejection of God. That led to his death. That's what necessitated, that's what caused his death. That's what created the need for Jesus to come and to be um, laid out on the cross and crucified for, for our sins. So we were responsible for his sin. And so when the people heard Peter's message and the passion with which he preached, and they, they evaluated the evidence that, 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 that Peter lays out, which I love. Peter's like, you know, you guys elevate King David to this level, and yet I can point to King David's tomb right now, and his bones are still there. But Jesus, that tomb's empty. So what are you going to do? And it says that the, the people were, were astonished at his preaching, and they, they, they asked Peter, 
Um, brothers, what, what are we going to do then? In, in light of the fact that we were wrong about Jesus, we were responsible for his death, what are we going to do? And Peter says this in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then here's a preacher's verse in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them because preachers don't just say one sentence. They just keep talking and talking and talking. And he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so there was this massive response of the people as they listened to the preaching of Peter. It says in verse 41, those who received his word and were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This huge response to the preaching of the truth of God's word, to the preaching of the very gospel, Jesus Christ's life exchanged for yours. And 3,000 souls responded. The text that I want to focus on starts in verse 42. So read along with me. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were, done, were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you get a glimpse of that church? And I, I, I want to be a part of that church. Uh, that, that's as different as a culture as they are than we are today. That church is marked by things that I want to be a part of. That church, that church is, is filled with characteristics and traits and values that, I mean, I mean, many of you have joined Uniontown even recently. Some of you have just started attending Uniontown recently. In fact, a bunch of them, they're not here right now, but there's a whole pile of people in the conference room right now walking through a membership class. And I, I praise God that you want to join Uniontown Bible Church, but I hope you don't take offense to it. I, I want to be a part of this church here. I mean, I love our church. I love you. But isn't there something different here? As we get a glimpse of that church, what we see are the characteristics and traits that we long for Uniontown Bible Church to be described by. So what are those values and those characteristics that we find here that we want to see here? Before I start, this just came to mind. When I say church, I do not mean 4272 Watson Lane. When I say church, I don't mean these walls, this building. This is a gift that God has given to us to use for ministry and to, to serve the community out of and to, to bring his people and gather them together and charge them up and say, hey, you're not in this alone. There is hope. You might be living in a Genesis 3 world, but you've got the shepherd of Psalm 23, the love of John 3.16. You've got the power of Romans 1.16. And you've got the hope of Revelation 21 that you're going to see him face to face again. So be filled with that. And then go be the church. See, the church isn't this place. It is you. It's people. So what as a people do we want to be identified as? 
What characteristics do we long for? We long for this. I'm going to walk through. Here comes seven. Number one, it starts with this, loving God. We want to be a place, a people that is, is known for loving God by knowing him personally and serving him wholeheartedly. You, you see this right there in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Devoting themselves is, a, is an, it's actually a natural reaction to the gospel. If you truly believe the gospel, your commitment to God and his call on you is complete. Devoting yourself isn't a convenient um, weekly event. It's a dedication that's unwavering. Um, it's funny, so a little peek behind the scenes. So we're singing, I'm praying that, that God would get my heart aligned with his, <laughs> and I was just feeling separated. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, just, I didn't feel, I'm like, Lord, what, what's going on? Am I supposed to preach a different message? Now it's too late. Um, and, and it was, and, and so I just, what, one of the things that I do, I, sometimes I'll read 1 Corinthians 2 and, and talk about the power and then some other things. But, but this morning, for some reason, actually I know exactly what it is. I can't tell you because it would ruin a secret. But I, I turned to Titus chapter 3. And just, just looking at it as you guys are singing, and I was reminded of this in Titus 3.3, 3, for we, ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works we've done in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And it's interesting, and probably a poor time to be doing Bible study, but I noticed this this morning. Verse 8, Paul says to Titus, that saying, that's trustworthy. And I want you, Pastor Titus, to insist on those things. So that those who've believed in God may be careful to what? Devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent, profitable for people. But instead, avoid, listen to the list, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, constitution and bylaws. See, I should have known. It's right there in Scripture. No, I was kidding. Because they're unprofitable and worthless. Instead of worrying about all these other things, what I want you to do is be washed by the Word of God and be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ that though you were so far separated from Him because of your sin, that God loved you and sent His Son for you. Allow that to align your heart with Him. And when you understand that gospel, you devote yourself to him. That means you give yourselves to him. You abandon yourselves to everything. You, you are unselfish. You are running towards him as a response to the gospel, to the message that God loved us and sent his son. I mean, you, you know that. If you love somebody, you're going to give your entire being to them, to knowing them, to caring for them, to taking the, the back seat yourself by elevating them. Guys, this is Valentine's Day week. You know what love looks like. But what I think is funny, we find a way to do the things for the people we love. We do the things they love on Valentine's Day, but the rest of the year, we're like, how come they don't love me? We should live in love with that person throughout the year. We should live in love with God, not just on Sunday mornings when we find ourselves here. We should be devoted to him every place we go. That's our mission, to love God most and for it to be, to be seen in our personal relationship with him, which has been made possible by Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. 
and let's serve him with everything we have. So we want to be a church that is marked by loving God while we know him personally and serve him wholeheartedly. We want to be known as a church that values God's word by studying it and doing what it says. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you think about that for a moment, the history of the church at that moment begins. Before this, there was no church. Before this, it was Old Testament teaching of the law and prophecy. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what had to happen was the apostles had to sit before the people and say, listen, I need to explain to you about the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how all of those things are significant in God's plan from the very beginning of time. The the proto-evangelion, that means the first preaching of the gospel is found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we find the very first preaching of the good news. That there is one who's coming who will come from, from Eve's seed. There is one who's coming who will crush the head of the serpent. And so we value God's word. We study God's word. Why do we study God's word? We study it because it reminds us of who we are, and it reminds us of who God is, and it shows us how very different we are. We study God's word to help us to know God better, to know him more, and to protect us from false teaching, from false gospels. Most people today in our culture will define God according to their own understanding. Um, there's a, um, a, I guess I'll call it, a, it's not really modern day parable, it's got some history behind it, but there's a a story that's used often in talking about different denominations, different religions, and their approach to God. It's, maybe you've heard it, but it's the story of eight blind men and an elephant. An elephant is placed in the room and then surrounded by eight blind men, and the blind men are, obviously can't see what it is, but they, they have the, the, the leg of the elephant. Another one may have the, the trunk or, or the tusks or the ears, and they're all touching the elephant, and they're saying, oh, see, see this thing, let me explain to you what it is. It's, it's this, it's, it's like an ear, and they start describing an ear, and, and the, the, the parable is to say, see, every religion in their approach to God is like the eight blind men who are trying to describe an elephant. But there's a fro- problem. The elephant speaks. The elephant speaks, and when the elephant says, hey, morons, I'm an elephant, God says, hey, guys, he doesn't call us morons. Actually, kind of does, even in the language. Uh, Anyway, I'm God. Don't define me according to you. Don't define me according to what you want me to be. Don't define me according to what society says is acceptable to define me as. I define myself. I am that I am. Now wrap your head around that one for a little bit. We value God's word because it shows us who God is. It protects us from false understanding of who God is. Studying God's word shows us what we are to do. If we study God's word and then we don't do it, we are wasting our time. If we are hearers only and not doers, what are we? We're forgetful men who walk to the mirror and look and have a mess all over their face and go, yeah, looking good. God says, how stupid is that? How ludicrous is that? How foolish are you that you would look in a mirror and see how everything's all out of place and walk away cocky thinking you're something? You're not. Don't be a hearer and not a doer. We must do it as well. When it comes to God's word here at Uniontown Bible Church, I'm going to be very clear and we will stand on this Uh, that was going to be an arrogant statement. By God's grace, we will stand on this unwaveringly or unswervingly. That's becoming the word of the year. Better get on now. (laughs) We will value God's word above any experience. 
We will value God's word above any emotion. We will value God's word above any other book because the Bible is the authoritative word of God and it tells us who our God is and what he's done for us. So may we have the grace to value that forever. May we have grace to value that so that in 200 years when they find our constitution and bylaws, they're amazed that we've stuck to the book. We want to be a church that values God's word. We want to be a church, excuse me, we want to be a church that grows with God's people by engaging in intentional relationships with other people. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. So what is fellowship? Fellowship is the proper drinking of coffee before service. It's in the Greek, you can't argue with it, sorry. Nah, fellowship's not coffee. It includes coffee oftentimes. That's not coffee. Fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia. The Greek word koinonia, the root word of koinonia is koinos, which means common. It means to share something in common with. So, so what do we have in common with each other? Let's be honest. Let, let's do a demographic study in this room right now. We don't have a whole lot in common from the whole superficial level, do we? I mean, there might be, actually not at this service there's not, two other Patriot fans in the entire congregation who are in mourning alongside me. There's probably 600 Sudden Eagle fans in this room. You're welcome. Come on. See, see one of the other points is we want to be a generous people. Like I said, you're welcome. I wanted to share with you. Blah. So, so our, what we have in common isn't the superficial. What we have in common isn't geographical. It's not ethnic similarities. Not our preferences. It's not even our personal experience. What we have in common is who we are in Christ. What we have in common is we're family. So, so let's be, let's, uh, we got to be honest though. We are a dysfunctional family. We're messed up. That's part of the beauty of it, isn't it? Ephesians, it's got to be chapter 4. I'm going to say two, but Ephesians 4, it talks about the church being together and how God brings all these pieces together and how the, the church, as it's kind of muddled together in God's incredible brilliance, it serves a purpose to display the manifold wisdom of God. And when you understand that phrase, the manifold wisdom, it is the multifaceted colors it's what happens when you take, a, like anybody has a diamond this big, but you take a diamond and you hold it up to the light and you have all the prisms of light that come out of it and every time you turn it, you see a little bit different and different shapes. That, that's the wisdom of God is on display when he can get people from every different background to sit in this place and agree. What do they agree on? They don't agree on if the carpet runners are beautiful. None of us do agree. We don't agree if, if Frank should preach longer or shorter. There are some of you that think I should preach longer. If you're smart, you're the quiet ones. You know what you agree on? And we were hopeless without Christ. But the problem is, is that we've deceived ourselves into thinking that family within this church context looks like parking in the parking lot, walking in the building, sitting in one of these awesome chairs here, and facing forward like you're on a bus ride. You stand up, you sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, and then you run to your car and go home. 
That's not family. Family isn't looking at the back of somebody else's head for an hour and a half. But family also isn't coming in. Hey, everybody, how are you? Everything's wonderful. Oh, come here. Family's being real with each other. Family is being in such a relationship with each other. You know when your brother is hurting. You know when your sister's heart is aching. You know when they're celebrating. You know when they're happy. But, but you see those things. That's what it means to be in, in family. The fellowship. They're devoted. They're, they're pointed on. They're, they're focused on the fellowship. And let's be honest. Fellowship can't just happen here on Sunday morning. It's happening throughout the week in their homes. You, you see it in verse 46. They're breaking bread together in each other's homes. They're not just showing up at the church building and drinking coffee together. They're, they're together. I mean, they're, they're together as the 3,000 people. And then they're together in the smaller groups as they leave that place. The, the big group, when we get together like this, this celebration time, this time for us to focus together as a church is, is kind of like a battalion getting the marching orders. Like, all right, I already talked about it a little bit at the beginning. We're ready to go. We're going to make it. We're going to survive. It's been a hard week. Okay, got some wind back in my sails. Got to head down the hill. Let's see where this goes. And then, then, then when you get off the hill, you're, you're, you're launching into each other like family where you love and serve each other and give them yourselves to each other. So we are going to be committed to growing with God's people by engaging in intentional relationships with one another. We're going to be committed to enjoying God's presence by spending regular time in personal and corporate prayer. Talked about how they were devoted to the prayers. And, and, and some think that that is a, a formal prayer structure that happened at the temple. It could be, but, but even if it is that, there's no question that they were certainly engaged in, in time of prayer with family, with the fellowship, with their, their brothers and sisters, with their friends. You, you read through the book of Acts, excuse me, that what you find is that this early church had a hungering for, for, for God and for, for God's will that was demonstrated in the pursuit of God in prayer. So, so just to, to name a few, you get to Acts chapter 1 before, before even our text today, you've got the apostles and the followers of Christ after Jesus has, has uh, ascended and, and, and they're, they're spending time in prayer together and now they've got to figure out, okay, we need wisdom. We need to understand who we, get, who we choose to replace Judas. How do we do this? Well, what do they do? We ask, they ask God for wisdom. They spend time in prayer. Uh, in chapter four, it talks about there's, there's all of this difficulty that's happening. There's persecution. They're being brought before judges and others. And in Acts chapter four, they pray, God, please enable us to speak with boldness and courage to, to, despite the difficulty that keeps coming up. Acts chapter 6, there's, there's things that are growing. The church is popping. And let's be honest, we handle difficulty a lot better than we handle success. Somehow we tricked ourselves into thinking when we succeed, it's all done. But in Acts 6, there was this huge problem. There was Greek widows who were feeling neglected. And so as the, 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 the team came together, as the apostles came together, they, they prayed and God revealed to them who they should choose as their first Deacons, so that the leadership could then devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to what? Prayer. 
The, the, the early church in chapter 8 was praying for new believers to experience the fullness in their faith. In Acts chapter 12, okay, now you have this need arises because Peter, Peter's been thrown in jail right after James was in jail and was, was put to death. Now Peter's in jail and the early church is looking at this thinking, we know where this is going to end. They're going to put Peter to death. And I love, this is one of my favorite Sunday school stories ever. They're, they're all gathered at the house. They're like, Lord, would you please get Peter out of jail safely? Would you please? And Peter's asleep between two guards and it says he wakes up to an angel poking him in the side saying, hey, hurry up, get up. And Peter's like, what? And he thought he was having a dream. And, the, and he says he stood up and the, the shackles fell off him and the angel said, follow me. And so Peter, you know, he obeyed. He followed the angel. And all of a sudden he's in the middle of the street. The angel's gone and he's standing there like, it's not a dream. Now what do I do? I know, I'll go to Mary's house. So he runs down to Mary's house and he stands outside the door. And inside Mary's house, the church is gathered. Lord, would you please get Peter out of prison? Would you deliver him safely, please? And then Rhoda, the, the little servant girl, hears the door. So she runs to the door and she says, who is it? And outside the door, it goes, it's Peter, let me in. And she goes, ah! And she runs inside and the people are like, Lord, would you please release Peter from jail? Rhoda, be quiet, please, would you? And she says, no, Peter's at the door. And they say, Lord, would you please? Peter's not at the door, he's in prison. We're praying for him right now to be released. Aren't you listening? I'm serious. It's Peter. Man, that's us, isn't it? Lord, would you reveal to me the choice I should make? Boom. Lord, would you reveal to me the choice I should make? And that's, but we want to be a praying people. See, the problem is this. We don't want to be a, 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 a oh, hell, maybe I said that wrong. No, I, we don't want to be a people who pray. We want to be a praying people. Yeah, we want to be a praying people. We want to be a people whose first instinct is to fall on their faces before God and be like, listen, we don't have a clue. You do. And this is about you. It's not about us. So you show us what you want us to do. You show us where you want us to go. We will follow you. Just reveal it to us. And then may we be a people who have our eyes open and we see the answers. That would be good. And so we want to be a, a church that, that enjoys God's presence by spending regular time in personal and corporate prayer. We want to be a church that invests in God's work by faithfully displaying generosity in giving and in serving. Um, verse 45, it talks about how uh, they were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We're not talking about communism here where it's mandated at a specific level. This was free will. This was on their own. And we're not talking about communalism where it's all kept tightly. All the possessions are kept by an organization and then it's distributed. This is, this is people who valued people over their possessions. And that's who we want to be. Their generosity wasn't driven by a command. It's not being driven because it's just easy for them to be generous, not because they've experienced sudden wealth, not because they're expecting anything in return. Their generosity is being driven by the fact that they understand the grace that they have experienced. They understand that Jesus Christ was rich, but for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And when they understand that, their lives began to overflow in thanksgiving for that greatest act of generosity. So they were giving in the same way, humble, selfless, generous, unconditional, unearned, undeserved. Man, would we be a church that finds more joy in sharing with each other than we do in possessing stuff? 
May we be a people who don't just talk about a generous spirit, but a people who are generous, generous in deed, in action. So we want to be a, a church that is known for investing in God's work by displaying generosity in giving and in serving. And for time's sake, I'm going to jump to the next one here. We want to be a church that is known for participating in God's mission by sharing the gospel with those in our community and beyond. One of the statements that just jumps off the page to me in this passage is Acts 2.43, and awe came upon every soul. When is the last time you were struck with a sense of awe as to what God did for you in Jesus Christ? Because when you're awed, you'll then start to speak. You know how many thousands of Facebook posts were made during and shortly after the Super Bowl? Because people were in awe. Or denial, but awe. They speak. Man, when you, when you understand the length that God came to redeem you, you understand that the gospel is the only answer for those around you, then you'll be, and I'm going to, a term that I heard this weekend, I overheard in a session from the If Gathering is this, when you understand and are wrapped up in awe of what it is that God's done for you in the gospel, you will become a flamethrower. You will not be able to keep your mouth closed. Man, and when you have a group of people who are so devoted to that message that they're willing to suffer for it, when you have a group of people who no longer live just for themselves, but they give themselves to each other, when you have a group of people who are so joyful in Jesus that they don't need those possessions, when they believe so strongly in God that their lives are characterized by constant prayer and a sense of God's presence in that prayer, people speak up and then people believe. It says at the end, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Remember what I talked about last week? Man, we need new growth in this place, not just so we can get more numbers in here. We need people who are newly come to Jesus Christ, the Savior, to be walking in these doors, to energize us and remind us in awe of the gospel. But I think too often we've become just a little jaded because we've known him so long. We need fresh eyes. Do you desperately want to see the Lord add souls to his family? Here's the question you can pray for me. I need to desire that far more than I desire the number of people who call Uniontown home. I need to desire the number of souls being added to the family of God. I need that to be something that just, just covers me and, and, and enthralls me and drives me. And if it does, then I'm gonna participate in God's mission and I will not be able to keep my mouth closed when I leave this place or when I'm in this place. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that then celebrates God's faithfulness when we rejoice together as he moves among our community. It's not hard to see. It's very interesting. It's actually almost cyclical, isn't it? It's almost this, 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 um, this loop that happens. We, we, we love God first, right? And when we love God, 
then we value his word and we want to grow with his people and we enjoy his presence in prayer. We want to invest in his work. We want to participate in the very mission of God. And then when all that happens, we celebrate his faithfulness. And then we, we love God. And when we love God, we're going to value his word and we want to grow with his people and we want to enjoy his presence in prayer and we want to invest in his work and participate in his mission. And then we celebrate his faithfulness again. And then we, see, it just keeps going. That's the kind of church that we want to be. I find this absolutely fascinating. The faithfulness of God is being demonstrated to these people, and it's not happening in a church building. It's happening as these people go to their homes with each other, as they fellowship with one another. It's when they're intentional in their community. It's not a strategy, but it's because the natural outworking of the gospel in their hearts is seen by all the people in the community. Is that in you? Uh, here, uh, let me, let me um, I will shoot straight. I do believe that the vast majority of you in this place have that sense of awe when you consider the gospel and what God did for you. But I also believe that because many of us, if not most of us, have known Jesus for such a period of time that we have become myopic. We can see this much and that's it. And so what we've done is we have cut off those people who surround this hill who eternity is real for and apart from Jesus will spend eternity not just apart from God but, but receiving his full wrath in hell and so, so, so are you taking that awe that I believe, I truly do believe that you sense, you feel, you understand that awe of the gospel in your life are you living that awe out when you get off the hill See, and I think, let's, let's put boots on the ground. Let's be specific. Here is a perfect opportunity for you to do just that. I mean, I've talked about it before. You, you do this in your school. You do this in your workplace. You do this in your home. You do this in your neighborhood. You do this in your community. Everywhere you go, you're there not just because, oops, I ended up in, in Kenny's today. No, you're there because God has called you to that place. Those people, you may be the only one who, who, who knows Jesus that will ever cross paths with that person. And if you don't open your mouth, Who will? But let's, let's make it a little bit more specific. Let's lay out a little bit more of an opportunity for you. There's this incredible ministry that Uniontown has had for quite some time. It's called A Little Love. A Little Love is a ministry where it's not just a food bank, a food pantry, a place where we just distribute food. This is a, an opportunity for people within our church to go into Union Bridge and continue to build relationships with men, women, and children who live in Union Bridge, who are, who, yes, who, who need some help. But far greater than the help is the message of the gospel and the message of hope. If we just give them help, but we never introduce them to Jesus, then we've given them an incomplete redemption. We've saved at least a part of the outside, but we haven't cared for their soul. And so a little love is an opportunity for us to go into Union Bridge and to reach into the lives of these people and to demonstrate the fact that the gospel has full control over us because we understand apart from Jesus, we're lost. See, I think, I think sometimes, and this is a little pragmatic here, I think sometimes some of us don't sign up for a little love because like, I just can't commit to something else. I mean, I've got all these other things going on. Listen, you can commit month to month. In fact, this morning, it just so happens there's signups out there. Amazing, huh? <laughs> there's signups out there. You can sign up for one month at a time. You can sign up, just, hey, you know what? In, in, in March, I'm going to take care of this. In April, I'm going to jump on this team and do this. Well, I don't know what to do. And trust me, Brian Chapline has this thing all organized. He's got a number of people who are already involved in it. He won't send you a loan. Be like, yep, good luck. Let us know how it goes. 
No, it'll be somebody with you. It's an opportunity for you to go and meet the physical needs of people in the town that we call home. But it's also an opportunity for you to demonstrate the light of Christ right before them. Uh, not too bad. Only went a little bit over. Let me, let me, let me close by saying this. Um, do we think for a moment that Uniontown Bible Church is going to exist in such a way that we will perfectly match our purpose, our mission, our vision, and our core values at all times. <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> no. I can't remember to brush my teeth every day. <laughs> Clear path right to the office after service. All right. Hello. No, um, Man, no, if we, if we leave it up to strategy, if we leave it up to planning and scripting out our every move, we will fail every time. <clears throat> but if we bank on the faithfulness of God and remind ourselves time and time again of what he's done for us, you know what the result is? Man, you're going to love him. And, and, and you're going to value everything he says. And you're going to have a desire to grow with his people who are going through the same thing as you. And you're going to enjoy his presence as you go to him in prayer. You're going to see the work that he wants to accomplish in this area, and you're going to invest in it both financially and physically. And then you're actually going to participate in the mission by opening your mouth and telling others what it is that Christ has done for you. And then we'll celebrate his faithfulness again. And we'll start the cycle all over. May we be reminded time and time again of how good God is to us. And may we be a church that demonstrates the gospel, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you that in it we have life, we have hope. I thank you, Father, that we can look at your word and be reminded time and time again that, that you are righteous and holy. And Father, even though it reminds us time and time again that we are not, that's okay. Because God, we don't need to be. You've provided our righteousness. You've provided our holiness. And now, God, we want to serve you with everything we have as a result. We want to fall into you and we want to please you with our obedience. So God, I pray that our obedience to you would simply be a response to the work you've done in our lives and not some lame attempt at trying to earn our way into heaven. <laughs> Lord, I, I ask that this church would be faithful both now and the years to come, that we would be faithful in proclaiming the truth of the gospel, that we'd be faithful in reminding those people around us how faithful you are, how much you love us, how far you went to redeem us, and how much we owe you. Lord, may we please you and bring you glory in everything we do and say. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.